Hi everyone, thank you for joining us today. My name is Jordi Miller and welcome to Between the Head and the Heart. This is a podcast where we at Lexington Wealth Management discuss in a very candid way some of the hardest topics and try to simplify them for everybody to understand. And what better first topic for this podcast than discussing some of the new tax law changes and how they affect your money. Um, Today we're very lucky uh, in two ways. First, for having Glenn Frank part of uh, being part of Lexington Wealth Management, he's our tax uh, investment strategy director, but he's also willing to spend some time with us nerding out how taxes are going to be affecting your portfolio this year, uh, as your taxes are, are going to be affected uh, this year. So, Glenn, how are you doing today? Excellent. Very good. Excited to be here. <laughs> so. Uh, taxes is such a complicated topic, and what we thought of doing it to uh, what we thought of doing today was maybe dividing it in some of the main areas that we see have some planning points that we can add value. We do not claim to be experts in every single area of the tax law code changes, but we are definitely good at what's going to be affecting our portfolios and our clients. So, Glenn, uh, I know. Deductions are one of the main things that everybody talks about uh, as being of, of of one of the items going away, and 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 people needed to plan extra this year if they were itemizing deductions before. Uh, do you want to maybe start talking about that on Schedule A? What are the big changes ha- happening? Of course, Jordy. Yeah, it's one of the more uh, noteworthy changes. Uh, Schedule A, you know, people itemizing, uh, it's always been a comparison between something called a standard deduction and the total of Schedule A. And now that the standard deduction is substantially higher and that many of the deductions on Schedule A have gone away, uh, far fewer people will actually be quote-unquote itemizing. Uh, Major changes on on Schedule A are we have uh, SALT. Uh, State and local income taxes are now limited to $10,000 per year. Some have uh, referenced this as being uh, rubbing salt into the blue state's wounds, but uh, uh, politics aside, uh, that's a meaningful reduction for folks in in places like Massachusetts and other uh, high-tax states. So uh, salt is now $10,000 cap. Uh, medical, uh, you know, has a, a still has a large hurdle of seven half percent of your adjusted gross income uh, to get over before you can deduct medical. So most people don't get medical. Hmm. Um, mortgage interest uh, continues to be deductible in, in the, as it has in the past. Um, going forward, though, with new purchases of real estate, the amount of debt that you can deduct interest on. Um, for quote-unquote home acquisition indebtedness has now dropped. So let's clarify a point on this particular aspect because we have encountered this, uh, especially with conversations with clients and on the street, whoever we're discussing. This is for purchases going forward after the effective date, I think it's December 20 something. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, uh, it's Uh, December 17th or something last year. So Exactly. So it's only relevant for for purchases going forward. Exactly. Do you have any idea what happens when refinancing? Yeah, great question. So if you refinance an existing debt, um, it's grandfathered in under the million-dollar limit that you can deduct interest on. Which was the one established before this year. Yes, yes. So the the limit went from a million down to seven fifty, and again, the seven fifty only applies to new home purchases. Okay. And um, so, so let's, and this is how we're going to do it today, this conversation, to make it a little more structured. So that's the change. What are some of the planning points we can do specifically to this change? 
Yeah, so um, uh, there is a related change. I may as well throw them all together. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the related change is um, uh, people historically have been able to borrow as much as $100,000 a year in a home equity line of credit and use the $100,000 for anything they wanted to. Hmm. Uh, new cars, whatever. Um, that interest is no longer deductible. So, can you expand on that? Is there any situations where that hundred thousand is actually deductible? It is deductible if it's uh, used for the improvement of your home. Hmm. But if it's used for other reasons, like you've been able to in the past, you can't deduct the interest anymore. <laughs> I see a little trend going on on this already, which is complication. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There, there's all sorts of little nuances and uh, you really have to kind of weave your way through. Yeah. With the huge disclosure uh, ahead of time, uh, every single person is different and every planning point might not be applicable to all listeners. But what would you say is one of the general planning points on this aspect? Well, for example, uh, the obvious one is if you can't deduct the interest anymore on these $100,000 loans, uh, maybe it makes sense to pay them off. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it's all about your after-tax cost of, of, of a loan. What, what's, what's the after-tax interest cost? So uh, when, you, when you do that analysis, now maybe it makes more sense to pay it off. Yeah, and I would say from the financial uh, planning part, not so much the tax planning part, as interest rate go up, depending on what kind of rate you are locked for your mortgage, this might also be a good time to start paying ahead your loan. Um, Absolutely. And, and, and actually, your, your primary mortgage, even if it is still deductible, um, realize that, that, as I mentioned earlier, if your total standard deduction now is substantially higher, um, let's take a look at, at somebody who uh, owns a home and, and uh, uh, if you're married, finally joint, the standard deduction has gone all the way up to $24,000. And if you're over 65, they give you even more. It's almost 27000 in total. So for a lot of folks that are over 65, a couple, um, you're going to be comparing roughly $27,000 to whatever's on Schedule A. And now um, only 10 of it can be state and local taxes. Okay. So the next 17 of whatever it is, whether it's charitable or mortgage interest or whatever, basically the next 17 in my example saves you nothing in taxes. Hmm. So even though your mortgage interest may still be deductible, it might actually be prudent to pay it off because there's no longer any tax savings. Oh, wow. Maybe yes, maybe no, but it's, it's worth thinking about. Hmm. Uh, is there anything else you would like to mention regarding just Schedule A topic? Well, um, so the other one that's, that's really quite discretionary, of course, is, is what you give to charity. Yes. So I was going to jump into charity giving. Oh, uh, this is one of the we'll parts of the later. new tax law. <laughs> Let's get, I know if you would see Glenn right now here, he's so excited about talking to about taxes. Um, charity giving one of this, I don't know if it, it was on purpose or on, not on purpose, but it's definitely a side uh, not benefit for charity. So what might happen and the consequences of this tax code in just the whole industry of gifting. So let's let's talk about what happened first. Uh, people might be incentivized not to give that much anymore for tax purposes. Tell us why. Yeah, so, um, you know, giving to charity remains deductible, whether it actually saves you taxes is another issue. So again, back to my example, you know, uh, married filing joint, a couple, you know, their standard deduction is 24,000 or maybe close to 27, again, if they're over mm -hmm. 65. 
Uh, and again, if, if they can only deduct $10,000 in what they give to state and local income taxes, um, the next 17 of whatever uh, or 14 won't do them any good. So um, if, if they typically give $5,000 a year to charity, um, it, it'll be for purely altruistic reasons because they won't actually save anything in taxes. Hmm. So, um, so many fewer people will now be itemizing and, and uh, will have uh, less incentive from a tax perspective to, to give to charity. Is there any strategy that you are suggesting uh, from the planning point perspective to still have a benefit on this? Yeah, so I'll give a, I'll come up with a, let me give you a, a more of an extreme example. We love extreme examples. <laughs> <laughs> so again, we have the couple, standard deduction is 24000 and they've got, again, 10000 state and local taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say, for example, their, their, their normal uh, uh, gifting pattern is $8,000 a year. Uh, if they don't have a mortgage interest or, or not enough to get up over the 24, then uh, if they give eight every year, basically they're not going to save any incremental taxes. They're going to be using their standard deduction every year. So uh, the planning point is, we'll give it all at once. Yeah. Give the next five years, i.e. 40,000, and between the 40 and the 10, state local, they'll be up to 50. Mm-hmm. That's way over the standard deduction, and they'll save a material amount of taxes in doing so. And then the next four years, they could simply use the standard deduction. Exactly. Now, they may not be comfortable doling all that money out in the first year. Um, The perfect uh, response to that is using a donor advised fund. They could, in my example, they could give uh, the full $40,000 to a donor advised fund. They get a the charitable deduction I mentioned. And the donor advised fund, um, even though you can't change your mind about the total donation, you don't have to actually dole it out to the charities until you want to. Exactly. So you could simply continue to give your $8,000 per year uh, to, each, to all your charities. Uh, to the donor advice fund. And let, and let me, just because that's the purpose of this podcast, to clarify this strategy. And, and I'm not a tax guy, so let me try to paraphrase a little bit. This is an opportunity because this benefit is going away and we're not going to be able to reach that minimum threshold in a yearly basis. If you bunch them together, we, would, we do not have to make a decision of where that money goes, but you can actually allocate that money for that purpose right now. And in that way, you get the tax benefit today, while still for the next whatever years, you can take advantage of the new tax law benefits. Yeah, you got it. Perfect. Now, there's an added tax benefit. Um, if the contribution, the 40000 my example, was, was appreciated securities in your portfolio, um, the added tax benefit would be to avoid any of the cap gains taxes associated with selling those securities. Yeah. So let's say, you, again, you had uh, $40,000 worth of securities in your portfolio, and let's say you've held them for a long time, and the tax basis is, I'll make up a number, the tax basis is $15,000. Yeah. Um, had you sold it, you'd have a $25,000 gain. And if I just ballparked what the cap gains tax on that might be, let's say that it's a quarter of that between state and mm-hmm. state and, and federal taxes. You know, you would have, in addition to deducting the forty, you would be saving um, 
roughly 20, 25% taxes on that gain. Yeah. And it, it's very situational, but, but the bottom line is you might find that that gifting approach, you may save 40, 50 cents on the dollar. Which actually means you can give more. Exactly. So the, the exactly. Yeah. So your the cost that you're trying to help at the end of the day can benefit even more. And that's what matters, obviously, the most. Yeah. Awesome. I think we're giving away too many tips, Glenn. Here. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what uh, it's for. And actually, it might be quite timely. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how much you want to get into uh, portfolio management, but. Uh, so actually, we can definitely jump into that because the next uh, area that I wanted to touch was investment tax changes and. There's not a lot. <laughs> there hasn't been a lot of changes, on, at least on the investment income. And maybe, I don't know if you can relate your next comment to that. Jordy, you're the master of the segue, aren't you? No, well, <laughs> wait till I do my podcast in Spanish. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Uh, yeah, so the, the segue there is, um, and it may be for, for a number of people, uh, things really run up and certain equities, especially U.S., and uh, that may be getting a bit uncomfortable. People loathe to pay taxes. So it may be very timely time to make these contributions. Mm -hmm. and, and again, it all kind of dovetails in. So you get the even added benefit of reducing this concentration risk, perhaps. Mm -hmm. So, but, but more precisely on the new tax laws here as it relates to investments, uh, not much has changed. Cap gains rates are the same. Holding periods rates are the same. Uh, the accounting system is still the same, which I, I want to point that out because that was one of that was one of the things that a lot of advisors like us add value today, which is tax smart investing. And a lot of that, a lot of what falls under tax smart investing is what we sell and what we buy, depending on cost basis and re unrealized gains on those holdings and. One of the rumors that was happening at the beginning of this whole tax conversation before it passed Congress was that the accounting system was going to change. Like FIFO was going to be established as the required way to sell. And that did not happen. And that is important because it allows for some kind of arbitrage in how you buy and sell your positions. Absolutely. So uh, I was happy that didn't change. I, I, I hate it when somebody takes the... Uh, uh, planting arrows out of my quiver, if you will. <laughs> so uh, we still have that, and, and we have all the other things we've, we've always used. Yes. Um, it, it's interesting, and, and perhaps that's, that's even why my, my position at the firm exists, uh, Director of Investment Tax Strategy, is because uh, there's so much discretion in planning opportunities as it relates to investments. I mean, yeah. think about it. Uh, pretty much uh, taxpayers' other sources of income are not a lot of planning. You get your W-2 every year, you pay taxes on it. I mean, most of your sources of income are uh, are kind of set. Yeah. When it relates to investments, not the case at all. Mm. Cap gains aren't triggered until you decide to sell. Uh, you decide whether they buy munis or not. You decide whether to, to get qualified dividends and get lower tax rates. Um, you decide where to place your investments. Which investments go in your retirement accounts, which go in your taxable, which go in your Roth, your trust, et cetera, et cetera. So tremendous discretion um, with investments as it relates to taxes. So that's why we spend a lot of time here at Lexington is being very thoughtful mm -hmm. about all these tax laws, how individual investments are taxed, and putting the two together. Uh 
I do want to give a disclosure. Like, even though we said that there were no changes on the tax rates on inc- investment income, there were some changes on the threshold to reach those tax different tax rates. So, uh, and and those are just easy to find online. Like, where do you fall depending on what kind of income? Uh, great point, Jordy. So, uh, which creates a new planning opportunity for us. Yes. The you know uh, for cap gains rates, we've got a ten, a fifteen, and a twenty percent tax rates. Mm-hmm. And there's also this little sneaky 3.8 Medicare surtax thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the levels for the 10, 15, and 20 have now all been upped. So you can sell more and still be taxed at 10 mm-hmm. or at 15 or at 20. So because of the levels that get taxed at, at the, the, the lower 10 and 15 have now uh, been increased, that allows uh, us to sell more for our clients and pay less in taxes. So it, it creates a greater opportunity. So really, very good point. One of the things that went away, though, that uh, we also want to be clear is management fees that are paid to advisory services. So I don't know if you could explain about yeah, that. Yeah, great point. So back on Schedule A, so I mentioned that... that um, and this is a big reason taxes are now simpler is because people aren't using Schedule A. Hmm. So um, not only did they limit uh, state and local taxes to $10,000, um, but they, they eliminated some of the things that were deductible on Schedule A. Um, miscellaneous itemized deductions, which includes our own fees, which includes tax preparation fees, which includes unreimbursed employee business expenses. That whole category is gone. So um, again, the likelihood of, of, of having enough on Schedule A to deduct is, is now lessened. So what are we doing uh, about that regarding our clients? Well, we've always kind of taken our fees in a place that, that would be most uh, cost and tax effective for those clients. Yeah. So taking monies out of a taxable account now has now become less attractive because we can't deduct them on Schedule A. So basically, in general, what we will do now is, is try to take uh, uh, fees out of, out of retirement accounts mm-hmm. to the extent we're allowed to. And uh, effectively, then they become tax-free distributions. Mm-hmm. There, there will now be less to take out of their retirement accounts and, and pay ordinary taxes on but again, we, we have to be very thoughtful about this, and we've got rules of thumb. And it's a, yeah, and it's extremely individual. Like this becomes this particular item becomes extremely individual to the person, and 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 not necessarily a rule of thumb. One of those things. Um, exactly, it, it, everything is fairly situational, and 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 uh, things here I think are always very thoughtful. One of the, uh, uh, I would say, exciting things that I saw in the tax code, and I put excitance in quotes because <laughs> the, there's a lot to go through through this, and I don't want any political views to get into this, is the everything education on this tax code. Uh, the changes that have been to what can be included as, as some of the deductions for, I could say, education. We call it 529s, which is the main instrument we use to do that. But there's others. I don't know if you want to talk about how the education get affected or education investment. I would say in my in my head. Yeah, great, great question, and, and this really is, a, I think, an exciting opportunity for many. Uh, historically, the 529 plans, which I think uh, many people are aware of, uh, were were orchestrated for for college. Mm-hmm. You know, a wonderful account that would be tax free uh, for for kids' college. Well, they've uh, now it's it's 
K through 12. Yeah. So if you're sending your child to private school or even have it homeschooled, if you have these out-of-pocket educational costs, you know, from, from kindergarten all the way up to, you know, senior in high school, um, these costs can now be paid out of 529 plans, yeah. up to 10000 per year per child. Yeah. So that, that's a significant uh, opportunity to stash money for, for all education yeah. in a tax-free environment. A lot of conversations we, we have heard and, uh, uh, in, within our clientele is that they don't know if their kids want to go to college. And this became a planning piece that was maybe not a must-have in the whole repertoire in the portfolio. But now with basically education being anything, uh, or I mean, there is obviously qualifying descriptions of what is an education, uh, especially private education, but it includes everything. So it becomes a must-be part of the planning tool now. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's definitely uh, much more on the radar screen now as a result. And, and then we also have to be thoughtful about how it's invested in the 529 plan. Um, and so if, if it was only, gonna, if the time horizon was quite long because it wasn't until the child was ready for college, and now it's much shorter because it's, it's for next year's tuition bill for their, you know, eighth, seventh grade private school, um, you know, the... Uh, much more likely to put fixed income in a 529 plan if the time horizon is much shorter. So again, this all needs to be integrated and thoughtful. And so investment options need to be taken a closer look at. So um, perhaps putting more in and being more thoughtful about how they're invested given the circumstances. Awesome. Um, Well, let's talk about one of the topics that is definitely controversial, but it's not as difficult to understand anymore. Uh, And it's estate planning. So this, in my eyes, basically got double <laughs> uh, the benefits of it. So I don't know if you could explain what the changes uh, were from where we were a year ago to where estate taxation is right now. Yeah, so this is uh, fairly noteworthy as well. Um, so uh, prior to this new tax uh, law, um, the exemption equivalent was roughly uh, $11 million for a couple, which means that they could pass federally state tax-free up to $11 million to heirs, et cetera. Um, that's been doubled. Now it's $22 million, um, although it is, uh, like most of these individual tax laws, are scheduled to expire in 2025. Mm-hmm. Whether or not they get renewed or changed, we don't know. But at least for the next several years, uh, if, if, if one dies, they could pass a much larger amount without uh, federal estate taxes. Yeah. And definitely to be clear, this is one of those um, very high profile topics that get talked a lot, but do, they do not affect a lot of people. Uh, yeah, percentage. obviously it's a small percentage of the population that yeah. has that level of assets. And uh, what, what's much more relevant that I'm uh, delighted did not change is that um, step up in basis remains. So, uh, Step-up and basis is, is simply the concept that uh, if you inherit something upon someone's death, uh, your beginning basis is generally the fair market value on the date of their death. Yeah. So let's say that, that the uh, matriarch bought stock for $10,000 many years ago, mm-hmm. and, and sadly they die, and it's worth $100,000. Mm-hmm. 
if they sold it the day before they were gone, there'd be a $90,000 gain. Yeah. If you sell it the day after they're gone, there's zero gain. Yeah. So that's, that's called a step up in basis. And that could be any investments. It could be real estate, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, and there, this was uh, potentially on the chopping block that they were going to alter that. So I was delighted they did not. So, and this goes to earlier commentary about investment location. Yeah. Where to put which investments. Mm-hmm. Step up in basis is only relevant to monies in a taxable account. There is no step up in basis in retirement accounts, Roth or otherwise. So uh, if, if step up in basis is helpful, and, and the only thing better than, than, than uh, paying cap gains tax many years from now is no one ever paying any yeah. taxes on the appreciation. So one needs to be thoughtful about step up in basis possibilities and holding assets that are more likely to step up in basis in taxable accounts is, is something to, to consider. consider. No, that's, that's a great point. Thank you. Um, so let's get into probably the most talked uh, part of these tax law changes, which is what we call internally business planning tax code. Um, there's a lot of changes. We are definitely not as experts and lawyers into how to set up corporations or companies or LLC or pass-throughs, but we can definitely try to an attempt to explain some of the changes that have happened here. Yeah. So this this was you know the um, uh, obviously the, the all this legislation was very quote unquote pro business. I think we all know that, that the uh, highest marginal tax rate for corporations came down significantly from 35 down to 21 percent. Um, many, uh, but it's also positive for uh, non-C uh, Corp businesses. So if you have a business that's a quote-unquote flow-through, where you pay taxes and on your own personal return as a result of the profits, whether you're a sole proprietor, sub S corporation, uh, partner, uh, LLC, et cetera. So all those folks, again, who, whose income from these businesses flow through their personal returns, they might uh, be entitled to a, uh, a 20% deduction of their net profit. So let me give you a, a simple example. Let's say um, you, you have a, uh, uh, whatever the business might be, and you're filing this Schedule C, sole proprietor. And let's say your profit for the year uh, is $120,000. So you get a 20% deduction. You get a $24,000 deduction on your tax return. Now, um, that sounds simple enough, but it gets more complicated at higher levels of income. If you you make too much, uh, especially if you're a quote-unquote service corporation, then you may not get the 20% deduction. Uh, it, it, it does get fairly confusing. If you're, a, if you're the wrong kind of service provider and you make too much money, married filing joint over $400,000, for example, uh, you may not get this deduction. And it, it, it's kind of a crazy who they consider, for example, in that category would be uh, lawyers and doctors. If, if they make too much money, they don't get this 20% yeah. deduction. Uh, and for some reason, architects and engineers can make as much as they like and get the 20% deduction. So I don't really understand why, but it is what it is for the moment. Yeah, uh, there's definitely a lot of those caveats inside this tax law. And uh, I guess we're going to find out a lot of the nuances through the year as we've, as every time there's a tax law changes, like we just learn and learn as, as we practice it. 
Um, but but I mean, thank you so much. This has been great. I do want to give you the opportunity to close this by saying anything you would like, high level picture of of what's coming in this year. Yeah, no, thank you. So it, it, it's it's highly unlikely there's going to be any major new tax laws passed in the next few years. You know, uh, you know, there'd have to be a, a democratic two-thirds majority, which mathematically seems unlikely. So I think at least, uh, you know, we, we have to work with these laws for the next number of years. And I think these laws, there's, there's many opportunities. And, and uh, we're, we're, it's very important that, that whatever the laws are, we uh, work within those to the benefit of our clients. Yeah. And I think it's important to point out that right now, the majority of these changes are scheduled to sunset in, 2000, in 2025, which if you're planning for 10 years, it might be very relevant to consider because you would have to make a choice and I guess like a bet on things continuing. But right now, they are scheduled to expire in 2025. Yeah, great point. And who knows uh, who's who's in, in power in Washington and what the deficit pressure is or not. You know, so it's it's always very difficult to speculate. So basically, you, uh, again, you work with the laws you currently have, uh, but keep your mind open as to the, the, the likelihood that they will change and, and they will. Awesome. Well, thank you, Glenn, for your time. And uh, I, I really, really appreciate it. We're going to put a little bit of a write-up on this as well as a blog on our website. So you can go and check it out. You can listen to this podcast. Please share it. If you uh, have any questions or follow-ups, reach at, uh, at Glenn, I guess, directly to Glenn. Or you can reach us through our podcast and blog and website. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Facebook. Uh, this was Between the Head and the Heart from Lexington Wealth Management. And until next time, this is Jordy Mueller and... Glenn Frank, uh, having fun with this, uh, with this stuff. Awesome. Thank you, Glenn.